Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. And welcome back to episode 110 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Coming back to you here late on a Thursday evening. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, how are we doing on this fine Thursday? You got a nice little break out of you, so I think your life's a little bit better than mine is right now. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, late night pod for the first time in a long time, but I think that's good for us. You know, it, it, a little adversity. Um, uh this might be news to people. There's not a lot of adversity in the podcasting world. Uh, we're going to face some tonight. It's late. We're both tired. You've got all kinds of technical difficulties going on. The only other kind of adversity you can face in the podcast world. So I think this is a good test for us. Episode 110. You know, we haven't had a test like this in a while. Um, we'll see how we do. You even, you just changed your normal intro of what you say at the beginning of the pod. You probably don't even realize it. No, I realized it because I'm going to be honest with you. I realized it because I didn't, I don't feel super excited to be back right now. And I felt like I would be lying to our listeners if I said I was super excited to be back here on the pod. Trevor doesn't believe in fake juice. I like that. That's good for the culture. Nothing worse than the, than the fake juice crowd. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. I think we need this. This is going to be fun because we're going to have to, you know, uphill climb. We've been smooth sailing. We had the routine down for a while. We had our days up since going to two days. Our schedules have been out of whack. This is good. I think this is exactly the type of thing we need. Let's see if we can make it 35 minutes tonight. Yeah, and it's our first... It's our first episode without producer Phoebe to keep our reins in. Um, We're obviously super appreciative of what she brought to us for her summer, but she's back in school. We're hoping to get her back in in tow at some point in the future. But yeah, so 
It's just all types of things. It's the one night we go late. It's the one night I got to edit the pod and post it. <laughs> like, come on. This just is, kick me while I'm down. This is like that. Uh, this reminds me of the scene from Bull Durham when they're having the mound visit. And, you know, yeah. they, need a, they need a live chicken to cut the head off of to cut the head off of it and they need they don't know what to get jimmy and millie for the wedding present we're dealing with a lot of shit tonight trev yeah we are we are and for our listeners i want to get this out on the front end rather than wait until the back end we will not be coming to you next week with any podcast episodes as it stands right now i'm just putting that out to the sphere if something pops up on that we don't know of as of now we might get a guest lined up we'll see how i feel over the next couple of days if i want to touch base with some some people that we've been talking to but as of right now with dan going on vacation he's got a nice little 11 day hiatus before he goes back to work so for all our listeners out there that are envious of him join the club uh we're right there leading the pack um but we won't be coming to you with any episodes the next episode we'll probably be coming to you with is after the labor day holiday so Probably almost two weeks from now, we'll probably come up to you, hopefully with two episodes that week and get back on a normal routine once the fall comes around. So, Dan, I mean, if you want to fill in our listeners with what you're going to be doing, what if they want to track you down and, and your fan club wants to come get you at the beach, I mean, feel by all means. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that it's just a little a little uh, break before the playoff push. Um, hopefully no one misses us too much. But if you you know this is a big two weekends for people, they don't need to worry about us. You got week zero college football this weekend coming up. We're two days out from the college football season kicking off. We're a week out from real games. Do that. Take a break from baseball. Watch your teams. Don't take in the content. Get get yourself situated. It's a lot in the beginning of the football season for people to be doing. You got playoff races in baseball. You got the start of football season. It's a lot. So we're going to give you a little break here. Get acclimated to that starting back up, and then we'll we'll. We'll be back for playoff time. It's September baseball, Trev. There's nothing. There is nothing better than September baseball, except for maybe April, May, June, July, and August baseball. But September baseball is a lot of fun. Um, we got a <laughs> we got a we got a lot to look forward to in the rest of this baseball season. We'll be back. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for vacation. Who doesn't get excited for vacation? Guy just loves ball. Guy just loves ball. That's all I know. Um, but in the biggest news uh, and, and something that obviously we want to talk about, and you know, I texted you this morning and just trying to wrap my brain around this situation is one that I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I don't know if we're, any of us are going to be able to until the free agency comes around and it opens up. But Shohei Otani, it was reported late, late last night that he tore his UCL for the second time in five years. Um, obviously, that's a that's a pretty quick uh, – turnaround on the on the life of a UCL there he obviously does a lot uh between hitting and pitching he's going to continue to DH while seeking a second opinion on surgery obviously they're going to try to maximize his potential but um the angel season's done Mike Trout's hitting the IL anyway they've been been playing good ball so it's really cool to kind of see that Shohei is doing this even though I think this was all agent driven it's it's kind of one of those things like you want to keep your market good you have to show that you're healthy enough to at least do one side of these things uh as met as much as people want to sit there and say it's honorable that Shohei is going to play for a, a hopeless angels team that's just his. That's just Scott Boris's and Shohei's way of saying, "Hey, thirty other owners, right? We're we're still here. We're sitting here. We're ready and healthy to hit next season." But 
I mean, your initial thoughts, obviously it's, it, it's hard to swallow because he's obviously so dynamic, but where does your brain go initially before we even get into the, the impending free agency that looms over the next couple months? Yeah. Starting pitcher's brother, um, a major league starting pitcher's brother who has become an insufferable media personality uh, in major league baseball has done all the crying and tears that we need for like two months about this. So I'm going to get past the part where it sucks and it's, Oh, it's a shame for baseball. Yeah, we get that. All right. Everyone Shohei Otani's really good when he's not on the field. Yeah. Whatever. This, the first thing that my mind goes to is the first thing your mind goes to is, well, what's going to happen in free agency now? And I think you just nailed it with, with board, like it's such a Boris move and, and a smart one, in my opinion, to like keep going out there. We've seen Bryce Harper DH'd all of last year and all of the postseason with the torn UCL. We saw him come back super, super quickly. And obviously, everything when you talk about Shohei Otani is unique from everyone else because he does both. But yeah, what, what does the market do? Because not like the first thing you have to ask yourself, like you said, two tears in five years, like the shelf life on a UCL. I don't know if this was a reputable source, but I saw somewhere where it was seven years. Seven got, years. That that's what I've I've I think you might have got that from me. That's what I've always heard. I think so. As okay. the life life shelf life of a UCL. So to to be having two in five years is bad news. And also, like we were talking about record setting contract, he was going to blow everyone out of the water because of the fact that he was a Cy Young caliber pitcher and an MVP level bat. Now you just get an MVP level bat. You make a great point. You made a great point this morning. He doesn't have any position versatility. He's a designated hitter. Would you send him out into the outfield if you're going to shut him down pitching? Do you go to the bullpen? So that's where my mind initially goes is what what happens in free agency now. And then the second thing is, is like, do you, if he goes and gets surgery because he wants to, what happens to his market if he goes and gets surgery? And now we haven't really seen a star player of his caliber. You know, when you think about recent superstars going into free agency, none of them have been coming off a major surgery. So now no matter what you sign him to, you're paying for a guy that potentially isn't going to play for a whole year. If he goes and gets Tommy John again, can he do the Bryce Harper thing and come back? You know, we saw Harper defeat every timeline we've ever seen from this injury. Um, came back in like 160 days from the day he got cut open to when he was playing again. It, does he do that? And he's back by May. Like I don't. It's crazy to me because that's the other end of of your thing is like if he goes and gets cut open tomorrow, and they say we'll we'll wait for the pitching until you know we'll do the 12 months for the pitching, but the first year you at least have him DH if he can do the Harper timeline, which is kind of where Harper set that bar. Now he would be back potentially by the start of the season. So like now you have to weigh that option, right? It's like well, do we wait and get the second opinion and try to avoid surgery to make sure that maybe we can tell people we'll be healthy to do both. Or do we just go get the surgery so that, Hey, I'm going to try and be ready to at least hit for you the first year. It's super fascinating. I think for some reason, just because of how deflating this probably is for Shohei. And I don't mean to throw too much at you, but I think this is probably it for Shohei and the angels. Don't you? No, um, no. And, and because I think this helps the Angels more because I think if there's anybody who's still going to stick to that original market of what we were kind of talking about, it's, a good point. it's the desperate Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It's a very right? good like point. That's, a, that's yeah. the only team that's going to be like, we know you, you know us, we know what you're capable of, we'll be loyal to you through this and kind of flex that ability to be like, still, here's 10 years, 50 million a year, right? And 
Yeah, I mean, it, that's just the risk of paying a DH that. Like, I know he's an MVP know. caliber hitter, and I get that. And Aaron, like, but Aaron Judge runs. Aaron Judge plays a great outfield. No one talks about it. Like, yeah, and that's I guess what you're I paying said. Bryce Harper that, but they didn't sign Bryce Harper to that contract as just a yeah. DH. So it's I, I say Shohei the hitter himself. I mean, DHs even the best in the league are. 20 to 25 million dollar assets maybe right so you're talking about a guy like if market value stays the same this year right because i think there's three options that we're gonna see and it's gonna come down to what shohei wants and obviously it's gonna come down to what owners and management are comfortable with doing you're either gonna see the long drawn out contract that's not gonna break any average annual value um records right I don't see him getting a 10 year anything above 40 million. I don't know somebody could could correct me and, and tell me I'm an idiot. I just don't see it happening. I don't see owners saying you've had two Tommy Johns in 5 years. We're going to pay you for 10 years to do both cuz that's what we're paying you. If anything above 40 million is for you to do both. Right. So right. I don't see anybody going 10 years. So I could see that being like, okay, if Shohei wants that long-term security, I could see it potentially being closer to the 35 to $40 million range, right? Which is respectable. It's top of the league pay. I'm not going to sit there and knock them, but it's not record breaking. It's not going to change the market. It's not going to do anything to the league. Or there's the other thing that you could see, which is the short term with the high average annual value. So could somebody go six years, 50 million? Could somebody push six years, 55 million? The problem with that comes into play is the fact that year one, you're paying a guy $55 million to de-age. Is it worth it for that alone? Probably is in terms of jersey sales and attraction and assuming he's playing every day. You're probably going to make as much money. He can stay healthy. He can hit. He hit well in 2019 when he was rehabbing Tommy John. Okay, great. That's phenomenal. That's good. But – in terms of swallowing the pill of $55 million a year going to one guy who's only DHing, that's not something that many owners or management groups, smart management groups, I could see there's desperate teams like the Angels that might be like, sure, whatever, why do we care? Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And then the other side of that, and this is where, like, again, like my head was going in 10 different directions. I was texting this to multiple people. It was like, how many cooks are in the kitchen, right? Let's say the Angels come back and say, we'll give you 10 years, $40 million a year, um, and we'll let you be a starting pitcher when you're fully healthy. And then the Dodgers come back and say, we'll give you six years, $55 million, but you'll play right field for us. Now, nobody would pay that, but let's just say hypothetically, pitch right field, do some long extended relief innings. We won't tax your arm. We'll be able to keep you healthy. We'll be able to do that whole thing. And then let's just say another team comes back and says, we'll give you this amount just to be your DH, right? How does that factor in? Like, is there going, there's not going to be a consensus across the league because desperation might be able to push somebody over the top of being like, we're, again, when it was his original free agency, right? When he was coming over from Japan, it was which team was going to let me do both and maximize my potential on the baseball field. Some teams were apprehensive about that. Are we going to find teams that are apprehensive about that? Are we apprehensive about that? That's where my question goes. Do you think that he can hang for the life of a contract doing this? No, no. And, and you know, he's proven – 
everybody wrong with what he's done up until this point. Cause you know, I remember when he came over and I said, this guy's going to like, we've never seen it. Like no way he's going to be able to do this. And then he did it. Like I was in that camp. Like it's going to be really tough to do. I thought he'd do one, end up being one or the other, um, just in his life with the, in his life, the life of his contract with the angels. But I just, this completely cha- it changes everything, right? Like two Tommy John surgeries. I don't think I don't trust it. I wouldn't be going out there setting a record breaking deal for a guy who I understand offensively you go get an MVP, but like I'll kick the can down the road and, and sign Juan Soto. Right. Yeah. Like if, if I don't know, yeah. like if I'm not getting both sides of Shohei, like, okay, well I'll go get Juan Soto as my MVP caliber free agent. He's younger. He has a better track record of health. I'm like, I'm good with that. You know, you talk about DHs. I just looked real quick and according to spot rack, in my opinion, David Ortiz is the greatest designated hitter of all time. Now there's some things that outside of this where Ortiz never wanted to leave Boston. Obviously he was happy. There was a, but the most David Ortiz ever made in a season was 16 million. Mm-hmm. Times have changed a little bit and I get that, but like you're talking about the greatest designated hitter of all time made 16 yeah. million as his highest career earnings in a single season. Probably prorated out to today to roughly 25 to 30. That's it. Right. So if you're going to go over that for Shohei Otani, like you're out of your mind, in my opinion. Like, again, Shohei Otani is an absolutely, like, he's an MVP caliber bat. But MVP caliber bats don't get 40, 50, well, they might get 40 nowadays. They don't get 50 million dollars. MVP caliber DHs do not get 50 million. That's the other thing. Like, you're, you're not, you're not playing a position for me like you're doing you're no. one side of the ball not to mention you now like when you have a guy anchored into dh it takes away some flexibility some roster flexibility that you have of getting guys off their feet and you know getting creative with your roster too and now obviously if you're signing shohei that's probably not that sh- that should be like the 15th thing on the list that you even bring up but two tommy john surgery scares me it, it really does um you know we on a day where Steven Strasburg retires, right? Like it can happen so fast. The guy was the world series MVP and then he was never the same. Like he, we never saw him again. He threw like so 56 it can happen innings in the blink of an eye. You really have to do your, your due diligence. If you're going to go 10 years, I mean, 10 years too. And I know I've defended long contracts in the past, but 10 years at that rate, if with the risk, I mean, we talk about it in the draft with pitchers, right? Reliever risk or, with the risk of a guy only being a designated hitter, no, that's and a tough that's, that's what it comes down to: is if you go ten years and you push the fact of the matter that it's something of the nature of you know we're going to let you start, but we're going to pay. Like if you're going ten years, like the risk of running this thing anything above thirty five million is potential albatross mistakes. Like, and I get what Shohei is, and like, this is not like, and I hope that as we have this conversation, nobody takes it as us knocking Shohei. No, we're knocking just the reality of the fact of it's hard to swallow this pill of 35 million for a DH of a guy that we've seen the shelf life of hitters, and sure, it can extend, but who's to say he doesn't lose his legs and look like Miggy, right? Like you are tying so much money into one contract for a DH only and hoping that he becomes the Shohei that we've seen this year and potentially starting pitcher. And again, he's defied everything that we've ever expected of him. Yep. Nobody ever expected him. So he could, but he could do it for two to three years before something comes up again. And then what do you do with those eight years? 
Yeah, and then what do you do of DH Shohei Otani for eight years? And I mean, even on the other end, like from Shohei's side, it's like, could we find worse timing? Like, could you have a worse time? Like, he could have gotten this in spring training of next year, and we'd be having this conversation about, well, he got paid. Congratulations to Shohei. I mean, look at Steven Strasburg. I mean, Steven Strasburg literally blew out his career for the 2019 World Series. He threw 210 innings in the regular season, finished in the top five in the Cy Young, just came out of the pen in in the playoffs, just dominated as a starter, took the ball for 300 almost innings in a year, and that was it. You know, like, and, and we've never seen Steven, Tr- but that man still, I mean, Bob Nightingale tweeted it. He's going to make t- $35 million or, or so until 2026, and then he's going to get 28.6 per year, 26.6 per year for the next four in deferred payments. It's like Steven Strasburg just happened to get paid after he had the best season of his career, and everybody said, fingers crossed, and, and hope you make that money. Shohei, like, I'm sure execs and owners and, and management's happy, but this is this sucks for baseball, the fact that he before free agency, like yeah. you, you think the guy should be rewarded for what he's done. And I mean that that's just like could you find worse timing than in August for a team that's not even in the playoff race for him to just blow out for the second time in five years? No, this is the absolute worst timing. I mean, there's no there couldn't be a worse time. I guess like if for him, no. For the Angels, yeah, there could be worse times. But this is probably good for the – I hate to say this, but this is good for the Angels because I kind of want to veer that way a little bit too. It's just like the, I don't know what it is, and we've tried to defend them. I think you and I both at times. You've defended them early in the year. I defended them at the trade deadline. Like we have attempted to defend this team, and it's just they're everything they touch turns so bad. I mean, Anthony Rendon, the fact that – that contract and that he's never been on the field. We don't, they don't even get updates from just the stuff I see from some of their beat writers on um, like the X machine. The, Anthony Rendon comes in, they ask him about his injury, he's supposed to update him, and he just basically blows him off. And like, so no one knows what's even happening with Anthony Rendon. You get Mike Trout with the handmaid as you're trying to push all in to re sign Otani. He comes back for a day, that same day that Otani gets, you know, blows out, and then he's right back on the IL this morning. Otani gets hurt. I just, where do the angels go from here? Because like you said, like the desperation of trying to re-sign him and maybe still keeping that value there because now you have a window to like, well, he's getting hurt on our watch. We know his rehab, you know, they've been through the process with him before. So they have a couple more, you know, they have that advantage over the other clubs who have been through this with him. They may stay at what we thought the original market was for him. But let me ask you this. If you were hired tomorrow as the president of baseball operations as the Angels, what would be keeping you from tearing it all down? And like trading Trout, letting Otani walk, moving on from your assets, what like what direction are you going? I'm getting hired today. I'm pissed because they didn't hire me before the trade deadline and I go sure, off Shoei Otani. And, but yeah, I mean nothing. Nothing. Because the reason why we defend the Angels is because so many times, and this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is across baseball, right? You click on MLB Network in the offseason, and what's all the talking heads saying? These owners don't want to win. These owners right. don't want to win. Nobody's committed to winning. I've never sat here and said what the Angels do is right. I've never once would say that because you can tell that their process is flawed. But nobody ever circles the Angels and says, they're committed to winning. They try. Because they are. They try. 
That doesn't mean a good old try doesn't mean it works, right? So again, we spend so much time and everybody, you know, kicks the angels while they're down because they can't win with Otani and and Trout, but then we applaud all offseason when the Padres go sign 15 guys for 10 plus years and then they go and suck, right? And they can't even make a playoffs with those guys. And it's just funny to see that like we we kind of just ignore the Angels because they're just everybody's kicking boy when they have tried to win and they they really have put their chips all in. I mean, they've only drafted college players for the last 3 years just to make an effort to win with these two guys. They've literally called up Zach Neto after a year, less than a year of being drafted. They called up Nolan Shanuel three weeks after being three signed weeks. And, and appointed to a to a minor league team. So you can't say this team doesn't put it all in, invested in, in winning, and it just doesn't work. And I think what we've kind of come to realize is – that it might be not just the process. It might be a, a little bit behind the scenes as CJ Wilson came out and with a couple of tweets and you wonder why guys might get injured consistently and, and Shohei's a freak injury. Mike Trout, ham eight break freak injury. You can't control right. those things, but you have something like um, CJ Wilson saying they refused to buy Pujols a special treadmill because it was too expensive. That was comical, right? You're talking about a guy in Pujols who obviously couldn't stay healthy a special treadmill. A I mean, I gave seen, him a multi, a, a huge contract too. Yeah, to be I'm gonna, primarily I'm gonna, a DH. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to name drop a name right here. Uh, Colby Reader, right? Was that his name? Yep. Colby Reader. the The University of Delaware spent over fifteen grand on a machine to put in the weight room just for him because he had back problems. And you can't do that for your two hundred forty million dollar man in Albert Pujols. You can't buy him a special treadmill. Come on now, that's just not right. And that shows a little bit maybe behind the scenes on why they might not be successful. And then CJ goes on. There was no breakfast served at spring training until the second week of spring training in 2012 and no weight room until 2013. Coming from Texas where fitness was 100% expected, it was shocking how lazy they expected the players to be. Imagine telling players, just run really hard to first base and you'll be in great shape. Imagine telling players to be physically ready for 8 a.m. workouts by stopping at Chick-fil-A if you need to eat. So, yeah, that doesn't look good. Obviously, it's 2023. That was 2013. C.J. Wilson hasn't been in Anaheim in, in a couple of years. So, But if those were the people that were making the decision, you know, Artie Moreno and, and having those people that are in charge – I'm sure some of the decision making were similar. So that that's not a good sign and, and it might be why we see these injuries crop up a lot for these guys that play in Anaheim. Yeah, so I, like you said, that, that this just proves that trying isn't enough, right? Like it takes so much to be successful and just signing big contracts isn't enough and um you know, I don't know if it's it, it could have changed now. We're talking about like you said ten, something 10 years in the in the past, but that's pretty that's like the first bit of like real evidence that I feel like I've seen to like that points to how bad the Angels organization can be. Um, and that's a big leaguer. So you take his word for it more than Ben Ruda, who's just throwing out philo- more philosophical stuff about the Yankees organization where that's like tangible stuff like not feeding your big leaguers is kind of crazy. Um, not having a weight room in 2012, even like again, 2023, that'd be unheard of, but like even in 2012, not having a weight room is absolutely mind blowing because 
you know, obviously physicality and, and having these guys in peak condition is the most important thing. You play 162 games, you know, this isn't 1927 anymore. Babe Ruth rolling out of bed as a fat slob smoking cigars in the on deck circle doesn't get it done. You got to play 162 two games and, and, you know, you're expecting these guys to compete at the highest level. So, you know, this is, you know, it's frustrating to see the angels who have tried. And, and, you know, again, as someone who I've tried to do that, stick up for them, because to your point, the reason that I have defended them is because the one thing I will always be against is the owners who just don't care. Looking at you, Oakland, Pittsburgh, like those organizations I, I'm always going to bash them. So I'm not going to turn around and then bash the angels when they're overpaying for guys or, or trade, you know, going all in at the trade deadline, because that would make me a hypocrite. And, and I try not to be one. Um, so th- that's a tough pill to swallow. Like you said, the Shohei thing is a tough pill to swallow. This is, if you're an angels fan right now, I am like how you're even alive today. Like this would be so deflating as, as a fan to see this. And, you know, maybe this, this, the Trout injury, the Otani injury, maybe, you know, to me, it's it's such a good time to just go in the opposite direction now, Angels, like rebuild with the idea of, hey, when we get back, we are gonna con- we're going to go right back to investing and spending money and trading. But bring in people who can, you know, tear it down and build it back up the right way and, and try and do it again. Because, look, you had two of the, the best players we've seen play Major League Baseball and Trout for that, you know, 10-year run and, and then Otani these last couple of years, and it didn't work out. So at some point, stop beating your head against the wall, and hopefully I just gave you a good segue there. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I don't know where they're, where they're going to go from here, but um, obviously it's, it's super crazy to look at what um, – what the angels have done over the last couple of years. And as I'm trying to pander here, it's because I've lost my mouse. As I told you, I was going to do off air uh, before we started recording. Because for some reason I have a third screen going on right now. And I don't know where the third screen is. And of course I'm running on two screens, but it's screen one and screen three. So I'm losing my mouse in, you know, the little area between screen two and screen three. But Dan and I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a mobile ticketing app that allows users to buy and sell tickets to sports games, concerts, and other live events. SeatGeek would like to give our listeners $20 off their first purchase. All you have to do is head over to SeatGeek.com and use our promo code Backside Ground Ball to get that $20 off your first purchase. That's SeatGeek.com. Promo code backside ground ball for twenty dollars off your first purchase. We're gonna spend today in just in negative light, aren't we? Because we're gonna transition to the Chicago White Sox, who is another laughing stock of the MLB um, because they can't seem to put it together. They obviously have had what seems to be culture issues. Um, and I will say, and I will admit this, maybe where we were wrong was the fact that I'm sure he didn't help the culture issues in Tony LaRusa, but he did not seem to be the main reason they had culture issues. This is an organization that seems to be rooted in a bad way. Um, you had Kenyon Middleton, who was traded over to the Yankees, basically come out and say that they had no rules. They had rookies sleeping in the bullpen. They had all types of things that nobody was 
nobody was taking charge. Pedro Grafal was obviously being taken advantage of, um, everything like that. But they've decided to fire Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. Um, I always like to say when we talk about the White Sox, as long as Jerry Reinsdorf's in in business, they're probably going to be in a bad position because that guy doesn't know how to control anything when it comes to baseball. Um, But what are your initial thoughts on those moves specifically that – of getting rid of those two guys. Yeah, I think it's uh, like you said, I mean, it might not be all the way fixed ever until Reinsdorf is out the door, but getting rid of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams is probably a good start. Look, they've been around for a long time and, and you're talking about a team that hasn't won a playoff series since 2006. They've won three world series in their history, 1906, 1917, I think. And, in 2005, and then obviously one of those years, I think, was the Black Sox, or maybe I was 08, whatever. But, like, this is not a successful organization. Let's call it what it is. It's a stadium that's probably outdated at this point. It's um, a team that hasn't been very good, even when they've gotten in the playoffs. I think they're in the playoffs, you know, a handful of years. They're in the playoffs in 2022, I think. But they're one and done. They're out. They haven't won a playoff series since 2006. And then you, this year has been awful. Everyone, including you and I, were talking about how Tony La Russa was not good for this organization, this, this, this roster, the makeup of the roster. They had talent. This could be a decent team. They bring in Pedro Girafol, and it just came, it, it went up in flames even worse than it already was. You see, like, it feels like every week for the last two months, there's a story about the White Sox and their culture problems, whether it's surrounding Tim Anderson, leadership on and on the Kenyon Middleton popping off Lance Lynn then being like well nothing he said was wrong that's all I'll say about it um so it's it's been it's brutal and and this is a time now that you know again where the Angels could be if they make some moves here they have an opportunity to potentially make the right hire do you trust Jerry Reinsdorf and his associates to make that hire you probably shouldn't based on past evidence but they have an opportunity now. Like, good job to make this move and and you know turn over a new leaf. Like you said, you probably could have. I mean, I don't know. They could have probably moved more assets at the trade deadline. But I think especially this is if probably you knew we were going to head in this direction, right. exactly. I don't know what happened that pushed to this direction, um, but. I would assume that if they really felt like they were going to walk away from Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, they would have pushed to sell at the deadline a little bit more because you don't exactly go into an offseason with a new management team saying we're ready for to compete for 2024. Right. I, I find that hard to believe. So I don't I'm assuming something came to a head. I'm assuming they finally did a, a reflection on the success that those guys have had and, and they were like, we gotta move on. But you can tell the the direction they're heading is not exactly the names that are being thrown around are names like Dayton Moore, Mike Rizzo. You can tell there is, and and again, I'm as big of a fan of Mike Rizzo's, but he's old school. And, you know, we've come to realize that the most important thing across baseball is player development within your minor league system and in your major league organization, right? The teams at the top, they can develop their own depth. They develop their depth on the lineup. They develop depth in the rotation. They develop their own bullpen arms. Dayton Moore and Mike Rizzo have not shown a track record for developing anything except for the top draft picks or trade acquisitions that they're able to get. 
So those are not exactly guys that are going to come in and, and bring in the right people like a Mike Elias who's going to come in and, and revamp the player development of the Baltimore Orioles and turn them into a World Series contender You know, within a couple calendar years since he's taken over. So obviously I don't I don't trust the direction they're going to head and I think the biggest thing with the White Sox for me is is all of their issues lie in the fact of outside of production, right? Talent alone, I mean we talk about guys having great years for the White Sox every year, right? Luis Robert this year is having a great year. Dylan Cease was second in the Cy Young voting. Tim Anderson was everybody's darling for a couple of years because he was just your typical gritty two strike hitter who put the ball in play and, and every you know, we have one of those a year. Yeah. yeah, every you know, every every year some new guys just this new elite hitter that's against the game and does things <laughs> the right way and, and just gets all these people fired up. Um so we've heard about White Sox players. It's not for lack of talent alone, but it's obviously something in their culture that isn't working. And I think it's got to be rooted in the fact of way above Eloy Jimenez, way above Luis Robert, way above those guys that this culture and this organization just isn't working. And again, it doesn't sound like they're heading in the right direction to fix the necessity, the necessary things to actually turn the production on the field. Because again, when you have guys like Andrew Vaughn who don't perform, Yoan Mancata who doesn't perform, Dylan Cease. I mean, I'm sure Dylan Cease would say that nobody in that organization helped him. It was all on him because he's kind of been up and down. It's not like they've turned him into Mister Consistency there in uh, in Southside. So, um, I mean, it's just I. All my thoughts are just go around like, sure, they made this move, congrats. But unless you're going to go hire somebody that's actually going to revamp your player development, which it doesn't seem like it, because even the Nationals who have drafted great over the last couple of years, their player development stinks right now. So if you go get Mike Rizzo, congratulations. Personally, I think the Nationals should be fired up at that point to be able to get somebody in there who might actually focus and prioritize player development with the assets that they've brought in. But it doesn't seem like to me they're going in a good direction. No, no. I, I, I mean, yeah, like to your point, player development is just so key and creative roster construction, right? Like that's what some of these other teams do. And, and I will give Rizzo, Mike Rizzo credit because I think he does a good job of, of getting creative and he's fantastic at trading. But like you said, the player development piece is missing and you know, if you if you take the new model of structure where you have a president of baseball operations who oversees everything and then your general manager can kind of really, you know, dig into kind of the the smaller things like farm system and, and oversee the drafting process and, you know, international signing and stuff like that, you know, that's a good move. And if you want to bring in a Mike Rizzo and, and do that and then have someone come with him as the general manager, you know, that, that was the original raise structure, right? And, and they kind of started the Astros structure. They started that, and, and that seems to work. So if they want to make that move, that's good. But Dayton Moore, I mean, man, that would just be – you were in division with that team to see what he built year over year and, and just to then make that same move. I'm with you. Like, I think, you know, my buddy Ken Rosenthal tweeted that they should – they you know, the smartest move for the White Sox would to be bring in someone who's experienced and has done it before. And I couldn't disagree more, to be honest. Go get someone – who's in one of those GM roles with a forward thinking development focused organization and, you know, name them your president of baseball operations, give them the the title bump, the pay up the, the pay raise. 
and start this thing over. And because like you said so many times about this White Sox team, we've seen guys who have had who have popped because they're so talented, like Yohan Moncada, Robert, and all those names you listed. But then where do they go? I mean, Giolito even had a Cy Young caliber year in the shortened season. I think it was 20 or 19 or 20, whatever it was. And then it was disaster again. Now, Giolito had problems. That's why the Nationals let, you know moved on from him. But still, like you see way too often, you see that White Sox players and, and these guys who are super talented, Eloy, I mean, have good years and then just disappear and I think, you know, getting someone in there who can, you know, turn the focus towards development, do a good job in the draft, bring in a coaching staff that knows how to set a culture. Like if you want to go veteran anywhere, and Tony LaRusso is like way too far veteran, but bring in a coach who's been around it and, and has, you know, been in organizations with strong cultures, you know. I don't know what Mike Schilt's doing, but like that's a name. I know they're probably not going to, you know, whoever gets hired as the GM, I doubt Jerry Reinsdorf is going to let him get rid of, of Pedro Garofold. They'll probably keep him going. I can't imagine he'll be one and done, but you never know that situation's so bad. But like Mike Schilt, who I think should have never been fired from the Cardinals, but he was starting to do things at that organization who the Cardinal way, if you get away from it, um, that's beside the point. I, he, you know, he wanted the, guys who could actually strike hitters out. Correct, correct. And the Cardinals are not about that. We'll talk about that this offseason. But uh, the last point I'll make here is, is you know, I don't know if you watched The Last Dance, but Jerry Reinsdorf was the general manager of those Bulls teams in the 90s. And you can tell that Jerry Reinsdorf does not like being told he's wrong about anything. Jerry Reinsdorf does not seem very forward-thinking to me just from watching that documentary. So I just think that I, they're in a tough spot and and – you know, this is another organization where I would kind of like to see a complete overhaul with, you know, some more forward thinking and, some, you know, some more focus to player development. Start making better moves in the draft. Start being able to turn some of these prospects into better players. You showed me the tweet a couple weeks ago of, of how loaded the White Sox farm system is for next year. And it was all these guys that we had heard about for forever. and uh, They just turned into nothing. Yeah, it was 2019. It was because they just That's picked up Brent Honeywell. That's right. um, who at the time was one of the top pitching prospects. They obviously have Dylan Cease, Eloy Jimenez. Um, who else was Robert Lucas Giolito was on there. Um, Robert was on there. Reynaldo Lopez was on there. And they were like, <laughs> man, <it's, laughs> imagine seeing this, that all these guys were on the White Sox in 2019. And, and you would think um, you would think that they really were going to be – Really good, and and really the reason they have ninety. I think they just picked up Sean Newcomb too. At I think at some Did point. Did they there. really? Oh, Tuki Toussaint. So. Tuki Toussaint was the one then. Yeah, because he was he was a yeah, top one hundred prospect. Yeah. And it, like, come on now, come <laughs> on. I mean, it, you're right. Like, I I have no optimism for this organization. To be honest with you, it's hard um, to have it. Yeah, they're it's nothing. Bad. No, they ain't <laughs> right. got nothing. They're they're it, not going in the right direction. It reminds me a lot of when we did, you know, when we talked last year when uh, Dayton Moore got let go and JJ Piccolo was hired. It was like you got a lot of like whoever comes in, like good luck. And JJ Piccolo no. was in the organization, and like that, I kind of that to me kind of spoke to where the Royals were, where it's like we know there's no one's going to be dumb enough to take this job, so we're just going to promote from within. I don't know who else is in the White Sox organization. You just fired your top two guys that they would promote from within, but. Well, yeah, if they're smart, their scouting director shouldn't get any no. credit because they've done a horrible Good job night. on that end. No, um, if Jake it wasn't Berger. for Col- 
that was a long time ago. Who though, they turned but... into what? <clears throat> who did they tur- who did they get back for, for Jake Burger? Eater. That was a good trade. That's right. I mean, Jake Burger's Eater. been raking. Yeah, no, Eater's good, and, and, Eater. and they're doing a good job. But yeah, I mean, Colson Montgomery, he is a top five prospect depending on where you look. Um, I know oh, Keith the Law Nick has Madrigal really draft high. pick. I forgot about that one. Yeah, <laughs> just it's bad. Sorry, no, White it, Sox really fans, bad. but it's bad. Are there even? Never mind. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Are there White Sox a... fans? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> They're all Cubs fans, but that's what I was going to say. Are they? Is are they Cubs fans who just happen to live closer to this the White Sox stadium the and want to go watch? Yeah, yeah who want to go watch baseball? Side but which side's which? They're the South Who's, Siders. They're the South Side, right? Yeah. 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 No bad. Bad organization, man. Bad. I mean, when when was the last time? And, and this will be the last thing I bring up before we let our listeners get out of here. Before we let you finish up packing and we let me go to bed. Um, when was the last year you remember that the White Sox didn't have culture issues? I mean, you're talking 2005, about five when they won the back World to, Series to when Chris Sale was cutting up jerseys. Oh, gosh. right. Like that was mix that in between now and and when we think back, even that 2005 team, like Ozzy, Ozzy was he was a loose cannon, they, but I think yeah, the culture they, was pretty good. They had Tomain, Canerco, and I mean they yeah. had Carl Everett, who was a loose cannon on that team. So yeah, I mean, I think they, I think they just reined in the bad culture issues. But in my lifetime, I don't think we've ever seen a a decently structured white no, Sox white socks which if you if if anyone who is interested in this um there's a youtube rant my brother sent me from chicago sports talk radio where a fan called in and just let loose years and years and years of frustration and it's like an all-time sports radio call in um, i'm sure you can find it on youtube quickly but yeah do you think i would get the uh the job here from jerry reinsdorf if he asked me what my plans were, and I was like, "Well, I'm trading Luis Robert first thing this this off season." Probably not. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you heard Eloy's comments either. I don't think he's going to be a White Sox at the, at right. the beginning uh-huh. of next yeah, year. He did he not care. Oh. Yeah. And and another thing, like I didn't even mention this, and I think I got some I got some flack the other day for this, but I saw them. I saw uh, Charlotte, their Triple A team, playing Durham a couple weeks ago. And it was so funny, just like the the difference between the Rays lineup and the White Sox AAA lineup. Like the Rays, you know, Basabe and Mead and all these guys who are just like these tooled up kids who are out there. And like they may never turn into anything, but they're all tooled up. And like Clint Frazier, Adam Hazley, Eric Gonzalez. Like there was just like a Clint bunch Frazier of guys. Was was like this is your <laughs> prospect in 2019. <laughs> it's like well. this is your this is your triple A lineup. I mean, yeah, Adam Hazley in the what was a 2018 top five pick. I, yeah. Like and, oh, there was another guy who it's like oh Stephen Piscotti. It's just like wow. Like just, just to hey. see the difference in these two organizations <laughs> is. Maybe there's a market inefficiency to former top 100 prospects that the White Sox are tapping into that we haven't seen success. Well, when your yet. player development hasn't been able to to develop, you know, Oscar Colas and Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn and I'll give them Robert, like Dylan Cease doesn't I mean, continue to do it. Like walk you think around. you're going to, the 2019 guys who didn't work out in their respective organizations are now going to work out for you. Like that's so bizarre to me. Walk through their roster and tell me which players – like if I painted you this picture where each guy was 
what they've been or what they had been hyped up to be. Yasmani Grandal at catcher got worse. Andrew Vaughn at first, never been as productive as a number three overall pick. Second base, Elvis Andrus, he's past his prime, but I'm sure you can find somebody there. Tim Anderson, he's a pretty well-known player. Yoan Mancata, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Oscar Colas, and then Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito. Like, in terms Michael of Kopech. talent... Yeah, and Michael Giolito's Kopech. on the Angels now. I'm not going like, to yeah. give Tuki Toussaint any like he he has never been good since he's been a big leaguer. That and that's nothing against Tuki Toussaint. He's been a, he's been around for way too long for us to still be bringing his up name his name up as talented. Um, you know what's I, crazy? He's still only 27. It feels like he should be 34. He, he must have debuted at like 17. Um, <laughs> he he must have been an Angels prospect at that point in time, and they were desperate, still trying to make the playoffs. Um, but like. There is a lot of talent in the, on that roster that all collectively got worse, that never yeah. performed, never. And think that's about some of the guys they traded to. Like they traded guys too, but it's like, yeah. Nick, I mean, Nick Magical, we never thought was going to be good, but like Top second pick. overall pick. Yeah, I mean, look back at that. You, man. A guy you draft second overall, one, it was a terrible pick, but like at no, least yeah, turn him into a just, decent I, I big blame, leaguer. I don't blame the White Sox for Nick Madge. I blame them for taking Nick Madge. The process, I blame the, but the industry. Point is the, like the I also blame the is, industry for thinking that guy was going to be an eventual productive big. Like, what what went into the evaluation process of Nick Madrigal that anybody he, thought he was It was the was National Championship helium. They literally thought he was going to take that pool noodle to the MLB and hit uh, 300 still. With, like, on. not that great of a def- – like, a second baseman. It's not even like it's a like, a, well, this ba- is yeah. a, a gold glove shortstop. Yeah, that was a that was an all time flop by the industry. I mean, like, because he was consensus top five. It's not like anybody said that was a bad pick, but like, you're talking about People a guy who, that Oregon State team. Did. I mean, yeah, but like, he was still at least like, he was, like I'm sure right. if we check the draft boards from that year, it was probably like consensus. Oh, for top sure. Five. But I mean, that was like right know, before the, Jacob right Wilson before just got picked six overall. Yeah, but at least he plays shortstop. He does play short, a good there. defensive short. Yeah, that was right before models became like a big thing. The in must like do, across, yeah. and you could tell because Nick Madrigal in an he would have went back for his senior year. Like I don't think he would have got taken in the fi- top five rounds. Just my just my hunch there. But I'm trying to compare him to a guy in in this year's even college landscape or draft that's well known. I'm trying like I don't even know what. Gavin Dugas. I mean, Dugas didn't wasn't as good no, of an average guy, yeah, but like, it's. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess Nico Tommy Hulk, was. I don't know, but Tommy Hawk's like a really good defensive center fielder. Yeah, and Tommy Hawk has a little bit more juice than Nick Madrigal ever well, showed. And we say that after he played three years at an airport. That's also true. <laughs> we'll see how much juice Tommy Hawk has. Well, Nico Horner was a first-round pick, right? Yes. Yeah, because I was going to say, I think they're very comparable, and you could kind of see how they were valued differently. Nico Horner's a better offensive player than than Madrigal. No, I'm saying just like in draft standpoint. Oh, okay. Like what did (laughs) – now I'm even more confused because like I was expecting to pull up his college stats and see like 460. No, it was like 333. Yeah. What? 
363-380-367. Like, actually just nothing special. Like, statistically, one home run, four home runs, three home runs, 20 doubles as a sophomore is respectable with 90 hits. But, yeah, I mean. I mean, look the at top of look that class, like, the teams before, before the team. The White Sox. I mean, that's Casey Mize, Joey Bart, Alec Baum, Nick Madrigal. Yeah, not good. Jonathan India, Kelnick, Ryan Weathers, Carter Stewart, Kyler Murray, which. (laughs) (laughs) Stop and laugh at Kyler Murray, ninth overall. Woo! Grayson Rodriguez, there you go. Pick a left. Travis Swaggerty went 10th, but there you go. Grayson Rodriguez is the first guy that pops. I mean, Bar- I, yeah, mean, I mean, Casey Mize, in fairness, like injuries, that's unfortunate. That's why you don't typically take pitchers 1-1. I, I still have a little bit of hope that Mize is going to be good. Yeah, um, Jonathan India and Boehm are at least respectable. Boehm, yeah, like um, everyday big leaguers. Kelnick was having a really good year before he punched a water cooler. That's a bad draft. Logan Gilbert at 14 is a really good, really good. Nico Horner at 24, as I was yeah, just talking Brady about. Brady Singer at 18. Gorman's been disappointing. Yeah, Bryce Terang. That's a bad. Tristan Casas looks good at 25, and we don't need to keep reading. Shane McClanahan, of course. Shocker. At 31, yeah. Shane McClanahan. <laughs> the, best, f- the best guy so far. 31. Who ironically fell because he couldn't throw enough strikes. I'm sure there's about 30 teams that are like, wow. That's we why really the Cardinals didn't take him at 19. I mean, there's not even really any good picks in this draft, even as you get Josiah Gray. We'll see what Parker Meadows – yeah, Dodgers, weird. Park, we'll see what Parker Meadows looks like. Or no, who was Gray drafted by? Reds. Reds. Good job, Reds. Uh, Parker Meadows, we'll see. He just made Owen Miller? Is that the Owen Miller? I think so. Yeah, that is. I mean, formidable yeah. big leaguer, but nothing special. Yeah. Cal Raleigh, good mm-hmm. – Mariners, man. Well, tune in for when we get back from the offseason – or in the off season for the my Mariners pitch here for why they're they're not talked about enough for what they do out there because it's getting yeah well I was thinking about the Mariners and you just made me yawn so uh, that means it's time to get out of here so Dan any closing thoughts yeah the hundred fiftieth overall pick that year was Taj Bradley. It's weird how these same teams keep coming up. (laughs) Really weird that, like, the same ones when you look back at this stuff. Yeah. So, but thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday and Thursday, roughly. We're posting this one on Friday. Always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.